0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse.
1: This week, the debate over democracy on several fronts. In Cuba, where a Twitter-like text service failed to deliver a spark to a counter-revolution. And in Venezuela, are the street protests an expression of free speech or anti-democratic? And finally, the debate over the role of the United States in both countries. But first, Megan Eckhamel is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America.
2: Members of the U.S. Congress criticized the U.S. Agency for International Development this week for carrying out secret programs in Cuba. Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont lectured the head of USAID. Leahy took the agency to task for a program that resulted in the imprisonment of Alan Gross, an expert on electronics and communications networks. And he criticized the agency's two-year effort to set up a text messaging service. I've read the
3: legislation. The legislation doesn't say anything about setting up a cockamamie idea. In Cuba, with Twitter accounts and all, on something that the Cubans would be so
2: easy to to discover. USAID maintains the program was lawful, despite it being run through a series of shell corporations, both to get around the embargoes the United States has against Cuba and to mask who was financing the operation. When pressed for answers, the head of USAID said planning for the secret program started under the Bush administration, although it was not implemented until 2010. American Alan Gross, currently in his fifth year in a Cuban prison, is now a week into a hunger strike. He is using the strike as a platform to protest his treatment by both the Cuban and U.S. governments. Cuban authorities arrested Gross in 2009. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison for distributing technology to help Cuba's Jewish community connect to the internet. Since his initial arrest, Gross has lost 110 pounds and is held in a small cell with two other prisoners for 23 hours per day. Gross and his family unsuccessfully filed suit against USAID saying he was ill-prepared for his mission in Cuba. Brazil's former environmental minister used a conference on ecology in Washington, D.C. as a platform to criticize the government of President Dilma Rousseff. Marina Silva served as minister under Rousseff's predecessor, President Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, of the Workers' Party. She said the party no longer endorsed progressive environmental policies.
0: The current government has a lack of vision when it comes to solar energy. We have so much sun and exposure to the sun, yet in Brazil we don't even have 15% of our electricity generated through solar power. And is that due to technical deficiencies or due to a lack of vision?
2: Silva made her comments as a speaker at an environmental conference at American University that honored the legacy of activist Chico Mendes, her mentor. Silva split with the Workers' Party and ran unsuccessfully against Rousseff for president in 2010. Silva is a leading contender to be named as vice presidential candidate for Brazil's Socialist Party in this year's presidential race. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan A. Camel.
1: Thanks, Megan. As we just heard, although few in the U.S. support the Castro dictatorship that rules Cuba, Even members of the U.S. Congress feel the secret program to give Cubans their own text messaging service, like Twitter, was a step too far. The program was run by the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. USAID has a mission to build democracy throughout the world. But critics say such secret programs undercut that mission and are more like programs run by U.S. intelligence agencies. And by the way, the service set up by USAID in Cuba, called Zunzuneo, collected data on 40,000 Cuban users. We asked Phil Brenner of American University for his analysis of this controversy. Brenner is the co-author of A Contemporary Cuba Reader. Here are excerpts from our conversation.
3: The U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, uh, attempted to create a, a network in Cuba, a Twitter like network in Cuba that would allow people to communicate and the ultimate goal was to essentially create flash mobs, uh, kinds of disruptions uh, in Cuba that then would indicate a fomenting and trying to bring down the regime. So this was a subversive activity. Uh, This is not USAID's mission. USAID's mission is uh, supposedly humanitarian, although they have enlarged that to bring about democracy also, um, although that that is part of the controversial uh, issue, their promotion of democracy, uh, because they've uh, not always promoted democracy, they've promoted uh, opposition to democratically elected leaders who the United States doesn't like, like Hugo Chavez. Uh, in this case, u uh, uh, s AID Uh, uh, hired a company in Costa Rica that then arranged with a company in Spain. All of this was done so that it wouldn't be detected in Cuba uh, to uh, uh, take cell phone numbers that they had stolen from the Cuban cell phone company. uh, And they sent messages to... Half a million cell phone customers saying, "Would you like a free network which you can get information on?" And they got forty thousand responses. Uh, people said, "Sure." I mean, I wasn't going to cost them anything on their cell phones. No, uh, no minutes deducted, uh, no charges. And so they said, "Sure." They didn't have any idea this was a an American project, and uh, this then began to operate for about two years. And then it seems it went out of business because the company wasn't making enough money and the Congress was beginning to be troubled about these kinds of USAID activities because often they backfire. Now, one of the goals of US policy uh, supposedly is to bring about democracy in Cuba. Uh, It is regime change in that sense, but another goal of U.S. policy is to improve relations with Cuba, with the current regime, because that stands in the way of U.S. relations with the rest of Latin America. And as a consequence, they're working at odds with each other, these two uh, aims of promoting democracy, regime change, and improving relations with Cuba. So uh, this, the controversy is around two things. One is Should USAID be promoting democracy in this way that involves regime change, which is really a covert action? Uh, Covert actions are usually done by a particular agency, the Central Intelligence Agency, that supposedly knows what it's doing, at least is more professionally trained. AID people are not. And the second uh, issue uh, is, was this uh, Twitter-like account uh, something that the, in any case, the the uh, USAID should be involved in. There are related controversies, well, and that is around the the legality of what was going on. The, in order to engage in a covert action, the president has to sign what's called a finding. It's a it says it literally says the president finds that this covert action is in the national interest of the United States. And the president didn't sign such a finding. Uh, the president's spokesperson, Jay Carney, said that that's because this wasn't a covert action. This was a discreet action. And so this is a little bit like Bill Clinton's what, defining what sex is. Uh, and if they want to be cute about these things. So we're things, talking
1: about euphemisms here.
3: We're talking about a euphemism, but that has very serious implications for the breaking of the law. Uh, The second element to this is that if U.S. money was spent on providing a service in Cuba, they would need a Treasury Department license. In fact, I saw the contract that was uh, issued for this project. And the the contract, well, it was the RFP, the request for proposal. It said, any operations have to meet U.S. laws. And one U.S. law is that you get a Treasury Department license to provide a service to Cuba, and these people did not get a Treasury Department license. They stand to be, go to prison for five years and owe a fine of $250,000.
1: Even though that they were working on USAID's
3: behalf? Because it required in the contract for them to comply with all U.S. laws.
1: So when we talk about this particular controversy, we see this week in the Washington Post that the Post comes out, supposedly liberal newspaper, and says, it's okay if there were laws broken, because the means to the end is to remove a dictatorship in Cuba that's been there for a long time, and it's an oppressive dictatorship. So this is okay. How do you respond to that?
3: Well, the Washington Post has a reputation for being a liberal newspaper. The person who writes those Particular editorials about Cuba, Jackson Deal is a hard right winger, Uh, and so that that's an anomaly. Uh, Jackson Deal misrepresented the nature of Cuba. Cuba is not such a closed society that they don't get information. He's really misinformed to think that Cubans are ignorant about what's going on in the world. In fact. Cubans tend to know more about what's going on in the world than the average American uh, because they get news from a lot of sources. They do have access to email, particularly now increasingly internet, but e- they had access to email and were getting lots of news. Um, there are bloggers on the island they can listen to. So Yoni they have,
1: Sanchez and others.
3: And others. And so they get news. We, they don't need us to provide that kind of news. So that's misinformed in the first instance. But I I think means are about, that's what democracy is about means. Democracy is about a process. And so you can't create democracy in undemocratic ways. Uh, So I think that's a false claim that you're doing something good by doing something bad. Part of this
1: covert activity was also um, getting information from 40,000 Cuban cell phones, which sounds very much like the NSA spying scandal that we've just gone through, too.
3: Well, this, this administration uh, came into office on the second day in office, talked about transparency, opening up freedom of information, and has been the least transparent of any administration. Uh, it's
1: Even less transparent kind of, than, than the George W. Bush administration. Yes.
3: Um, it has not been forthcoming on freedom of information. But worse, it has been, it is really stonewalled. When there have been efforts to get out this kind of information, the NS, and they're going after someone like Edward Snowden, who just yesterday was, it was announced that he's the recipient of yet another journalistic prize for what he's done.
1: As someone who has been a subcontractor for USAID in the past on democracy promotion programs in Central America, and just last fall, I was in Venezuela on a speaking tour promoting free speech. How... Is someone like me now viewed um, in this particular context? If if I do any project for USAID, I could be doing covert
3: work, couldn't I? Well, you might be doing covert work. Um, More more problematic is the fact that you you Rick Rockwell are doing legitimate work, and a lot of what USAID does is legitimate. Uh, Truly, does help people, and all of those good projects that are desirable that. The countries themselves want now come into question, and so anyone involved becomes suspect. It smears the possibility of the United States doing good around the world.
1: What else haven 't we covered that you think is important to mention?
3: Well, I think that uh, part of the issue here is that uh, USAID uh, is uh, an agency that no one seems to be able to control directly to the Secretary of State, but the Secretary of State is focused on many other uh, things. It, isn't, it is, used to be an independent agency, and now uh, I think the Congress has to rethink what the role of USAID is.
1: Thank you, Phil Brenner of American University and the co-editor of A Contemporary Cuba Reader, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thanks, Phil.
3: Thanks very much, Rick.
1: This planet we call
0: Earth. Abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call one 800 L L W W F.
1: Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Since February... Venezuela has seen almost daily street protests that sometimes turn deadly. The government has given various statistics on the deaths that range between 40 to 50 people killed in the street clashes, with deaths on both sides, protesters and security forces alike. The protesters want the resignation of President Nicolás Maduro. They're tired of his economic policies, along with problems of crime and corruption that make life even more difficult in highly polarized Venezuela. Today, we spoke with Rodrigo Diamante, the leader of El Mundo Sin Mordaza, a world without censorship, a nonprofit group supporting the protest movement. Here are excerpts from our conversation recorded via Skype from Caracas.
4: First, protest is a, a right. Everybody has the right to protest. And that the government doesn't believe in that. And second, um. The almost 80 percent of the protests have been run by students, As students that you can buy, so, students that we that no one knows. They are like all around the, the 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 country protesting at the same time, and they are not organized by by a special group. Like and right now, that is uh, moving also to civil society. Like even all like now in Caracas, trying to walk in Caracas is very difficult because. People are just trying to block streets uh, in a, uh, just to, to to protest their discontent of what is happening. And all the death. Uh, uh, Rick, more than 40 people have been killed uh, in the last 50 days uh, because of the conflict. So from um, most, uh, Almost all of them are from the from the position, but it is true that some of them are, are also related with the government. And, and this violence... Uh, is the result of when you do not allow people to protest, people just, you know, trying to, to try to, to if you don't ask the government, allow the Pacific protest, you are allowing the violent protest. And that, so, the government needs to, to understand that the protest is uh, the position needed, at least to release the frustration of living in a dictatorship. And in a a modern dictatorship, I know it's difficult to say that it's a dictatorship, but it is, Rick. You have to be here. You have to be here to understand it. And we have videos of uh, police officers killing students. Right now, we are in a better situation because they are starting a dialogue. They are saying, okay, opposition exists. And I think today we are just a little bit Better situation.
1: Opposition groups have agreed to have a sit down finally with the government in, in in this. And what are your thoughts about that? And um, what are the initial findings from from this discussion with the government?
4: Well, this is the first time in the last 15 years that we were that, uh, when we can see the some leaders of the opposition, not the complete opposition, but some important leaders uh, in the same table with the government. Um, I think it's a good start for dialogue. Uh, The thing is, we are fighting here against a dictatorship, Rick. uh, This government has been building, creating a dictatorship for the last 15 years. They have changed all the laws. um, They have changed, they they control completely the media. Uh, We don't have even one TV channel where we can speak freely, only when they want, only when they invite us. But not when we want, and um, uh, we have a lot uh, more than uh, thirty political prisoners right now, uh, some of them are in very important majors. One, one of them is a good friend of mine that he used to be in the past a student leader, then he won the, the last elections, and of the third city more, more bigger in venezuela and um, he 's now in prison, and uh, only because he he, he he was in a city where the, the people start to protest protesting on the street every day and they go and, uh, put him in prison because he he, he was uh, he was not doing anything against those protest protests and and that's the situation that we have So the dialogue with a dictatorship is something that it's, it's, it's a good start to, to at least um, raise your voice because yes yesterday during the dialogue, everybody could see it live on, on TV. So maybe it was like the first time for many people to see the opposition leaders. If I uh, may,
1: if, if I could ask, just if, if we could go back a bit and talk about the issue of dictatorship, because that term right. is a controversial term. Um, some people yeah. would point to the last elections and say many people, many other countries recognize those last elections as free and fair. I guess yeah. I need to get your idea of what you thought of those last elections, and also, aren't there still opposition newspapers or newspapers that would allow opposition points of view in the media system, even if there aren't television stations that, that represent that point of view?
4: Yes, um, we're talking about a dictatorship because that's the nature of the system, and that's why they have been building all, the, all these 15 years. Uh, to be more specific, the last election we came to, we called to recount the the votes, and the government didn't want to, to do that. They didn't allow us to make a recount of the of the of the of the results. So the opposition didn't recognize actually the result because there was no recount. And um, but then, democracy is more complex than just winning an election. Democracy because also in countries like Venezuela, when you have 70% of poverty, the government used all the money from the oil industry to, to, um, to gain uh, uh, the, the, the support from, from the people. In the last uh, 15 days, 50 days, uh, the government have detained at least 2,000 students. Um, that this, this number is incredible. During Chavez, this never happened in the past. Uh, so this new, new the regime is like is going to an a, another level of repression. Remember, Rick, that the people that are right now in power, they made a coup d'état in, in in the in the 90s, and then they arrived through elections to power.
1: People who are in power now were part of coups in the 90s, but yet also people who are being jailed. Um, like Leopoldo Lopez uh, supported the coup in two thousand two against President Chavez, and so um, the the history and issue of coups in Venezuela work on both sides, does it not?
4: Osa, before Chavez made the first coup, uh, the last the coup before him was forty years before. So it passed forty years before uh, we have from one coup from Chavez and the, and the, the coup before and after Chavez, there was another coup maybe it, it, 10 years after and 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 that's because once you start doing this you, they, he wake up this 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 attitude against democracy
1: the government has called the protest anti-democratic and said that the removal of the government is something that is not legal because it, it's not part of the constitution so some would argue that these protests would have been much more effective if they had continued after the elections last year. So what is your response to the government when they, when they call the protests anti-democratic?
4: Well, first, as you mentioned, I think we should have protested in the past to ask after the last election when they didn't uh, re- recount the votes. We, we should protest. Uh, and I think the posi- opposition make a mistake those days. They didn't protest those days because there was a lot of tension and they don't want to people uh, get killed. But there are other ways, intelligent ways to protest. We're living with fear, Rick. I try not to, to think on the on the facts. I have been in jail two times, the time, to time of the government. Uh, I have been, uh, I have a lot of friends in the exile, a lot of friends friends are, are political prisoners right now. Um, some of our friends have been kidnapped. Um, so it's, um, I'm all, almost immune to tear gas because all the protests for the last 10 years.
1: Thank you so much, Rodrigo Diamante of El Mundo Sin Mordaza, A World Without Censorship. Join us via Skype. From Caracas.
4: Thank you, thank you for the opportunity, and I I hope everybody can can be part of the campaign. They can find us on, on Facebook, Un Mundo Sin Mordaza.
1: We may hear more from the Venezuelan opposition in the coming weeks. We have renewed our invitation to representatives of the Maduro government to air their views on this program, but so far, the government has declined. However, we have had supporters of the government on this program in the past, and we will provide space for their viewpoints
5: in the future.
0: And now Latin American perspectives with Macarena Size of the Washington College of Law at American University.
5: Last March 20th we celebrated two years of the Atala versus Chile decision by the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. This was the first decision from the highest human rights court in the Americas to hold that no one should be discriminated against for her sexual orientation. It also stated clearly that we all have a right to family not to a specific heterosexual family. The case started in 2004 when a Chilean woman and judge lost the custody of her three daughters after she fell in love with another woman. The father of the girls claimed that it would be harmful for the daughters to live with their mom and her lesbian partner. Chile's Supreme Court decided in favor of the father, reasoning that although there was nothing wrong with being a lesbian, a mother was not a good mother if she had chosen to live with another woman instead of thinking of her daughters first. They had the right to live in a heterosexual family as valued in Chilean society. The court punished the mother who did not conform. She could be a lesbian, but not a mother. Or she could be a mother, but not a lesbian. As if a person could choose one or the other. The possibility of a lesbian mother was a transgression that the court was not going to tolerate. In March of 2012, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights decided that Chile had violated Yachatala and her daughter's rights. This is not only a landmark case about sexual orientation, but also about the very concept of motherhood. Who is a good mother? Judge Atala was depicted as selfish. After all, she was willing to lose her children instead of losing her partner. Mothers, we are taught, will lie, steal, and kill in order to keep their children close. But Atala could not conceive raising her daughters while lying to them. To the eyes of Chile's court, That made her a bad mother. Aren't truth, justice, and dignity motherly values too? The Inter-American court's decision recognized that motherhood is not a unique concept. To me, Yachatala was never a bad mother. On the contrary, her fight for her real family, even risking to lose the custody of her children, was the very consequence of her conception of the good mother one based on instilling the values of honesty, dignity, and justice to her children. I wish I could say that after this decision, no other mother had to lie about her sexual orientation or risk losing her children. This week, however, a court in another Latin American country, the Dominican Republic, is hearing a similar case, another woman who may lose her children because she loves not the wrong person, but a person of the wrong sex another woman who may have to decide between being a lesbian and being a mother. Let's hope that Atala's example and the Interamerican court's decision are enough precedents for these and other women to be set free from a narrow and oppressive concept of motherhood. Mothers shouldn't have to lie to their children about who they are, and children should not have to be separated from their parents because the majority does not approve of their sexual orientation or gender identity.
1: The opinions of Macarena size are her own and are not the official views of this program. And now a content disclaimer. During the fall of 2013, I conducted a speaking tour in Venezuela on free speech issues. That tour was partially funded by USAID. If you think that has affected our coverage of Venezuela or USAID, or if you would like to respond to our Latin American Perspectives commentary, please write us. You may leave a message online via SoundCloud. Or you may contact us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, Dot O-R-G and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, Associate Producer Megan Eckhamel and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen vez.
0: Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music by Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2014, Las Rocas Productions.